something people really need to, to be aware of when they look at ayahuasca. It's not a ma magic bullet. There still needs to be work done. I, you know, I still, I have a therapist for God's sake, you know, and, and my, my wife and I go to therapy and, and bringing that in with ayahuasca is fucking amazing. Mm. Fucking amazing. So this, this West, East, South American bringing together of all these modalities, it's like a rocket ship in terms of personal development, I think. Hello and welcome, fellow human. My name is Zachary Stockhill, and you are listening to Humans in Love, a podcast that looks at culture, relationships, and personal development from unconventional perspectives. Join me as I dig into the question of how people like you and I might get more out of life and love. Thanks for being here. Hello, friends. Hope you're doing well. Zachary Stockhill here, and you're listening to another episode of Humans in Love, and this will be the last podcast of 2019. This will also be my last podcast from Thailand for a while. I am packing my bags, uh, quite literally, this week, and I'm going to do some traveling for a while. I'm giving up my, my apartment here in Chiang Mai, which I've had for three or four years, and yeah, it's, it's a period of a lot of change and some uncertainty and all that good stuff, and uh, I'm really excited about hitting the road. I am uh, bound for the Philippines first, and after that I'm really not <laughs> not quite sure. So we'll see where, where the wind takes me, and uh, I plan on doing some podcasts from the road uh, in 2020. I plan on doing some solo shows because several of you have expressed interest in, in hearing more of those, which is quite... Uh, a little surprising and, and flattering in a way. So yeah, thanks thanks to everyone who has you know been listening to this and sending me nice notes on Instagram and Twitter and my email. Thank you to everyone who you know inspires me to keep going, who inspires me to, to keep making new episodes, and and all of you who are inspiring me to to make this show better. I'd also like to wish all of you a really you know Merry Christmas, Happy Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Kwanzaa, Happy. Hanukkah, whatever your uh, particular seasonal celebration is. I hope you have a grand old time. I hope you enjoy good wine and good food with friends and really, really enjoy the hell out of it. My guest today is Zach Poitra. Zach gave up a very lucrative career in finance to become a shaman in the jungles of Peru. And uh, when his management reached out to me to be in the podcast, that was, uh, I mean, I couldn't, how could I not interview this guy? I mean, that's absolutely fascinating how do you give up you know this cushy life back in america to sort of throw caution to the wind and embark on an adventure like that and the adventure of zach's life so far has largely centered around ayahuasca which is a, a plant uh, based hallucinogenic that is becoming quite well known and quite popular in the west as more and more people go on retreats and i think more and more people in the west become totally disillusioned with the rat race and keeping up with the Joneses and working jobs they hate and staying in relationships that don't work for them, etc., etc. Ayahuasca is kind of having a cultural moment. And, you know, unfortunately, there are a lot of charlatans out there, a lot of people, you know, promising things that ayahuasca can't deliver if you'll just pay them a bunch of money and they'll, they'll deliver you 
with this experience. There's a lot of people who aren't really familiar with, you know, the the historical nature of this incredible substance and its long history in South America and what it represents to people and the best way to, to sort of honor it and show respect for it. And Zach is definitely not one of those people. He's legit. He knows his stuff. And he was really the perfect guest for me to talk to, to, to understand more about this substance, because I've been hearing a lot about it lately. I have several friends who've had some really liberating and transformative experiences with this substance, and I haven't. And I wanted to know more. So who better to talk to than a guy who, who does this professionally, who guides people through these ayahuasca ceremonies and changes many, many lives in the process. So without any further ado, my last guest for 2019, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Mr. Zach Poitra. Zach, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to talk to you today. Um, if we could start off just by sort of laying a groundwork for, uh, for our discussion, um, as I've just mentioned to you before we uh, had some technical difficulties, I know a sure. little bit about ayahuasca. I have no uh, personal experience with it. I'm certainly very interested. But I know a lot of people listening to this will have no idea what the hell ayahuasca is, um, where it comes from. So maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Sure. It's um, first off, it's it's uh, it comes from the Amazon basin, South America, um, and it's used by both indigenous peoples and also the mestizo culture uh, in that area. Mestizo being uh, mixed uh, European and indigenous in terms of uh, blood and back and cultural background. Uh, it is um, uh, essentially a tea um, made of the ayahuasca vine and quite often the chacruna leaf, the ayahuasca vine being the MAOI inhibitor uh, and the chacruna leaf being, D being DMT. And when we combine the two in a tea, it allows the um, uh, DMT to be absorbed into the body via um, the gut. If, if we didn't have that MAOI uh, component and we took some DMT orally, it would just, the, the body would just break it down and nothing would happen. That's why you, when you hear about people smoking DMT, it's um, smoke or it also uh, in the book DMT Spirit Molecule, the research was done doing intravenous um, DMT. And um, so, so that combination allows the DMT to be absorbed, and it also spreads the experience out uh, over mm, eight, ten hours um, uh, versus like a ten-minute experience with just straight DMT when you smoke it. And do you, uh, what are the, what is the history of the substance and its use for you know medicinal purposes? Sure. Um, so it's. It, Recently, it was found in a quote-unquote uh, quote medicine bag that was dated like 5,000 years old. It was uh, found in uh, this bag along with, I think it was Wachuma, which is a cactus, and coca leaves. Um, so we can conceivably date it back 5,000 years as uh, being used by indigenous peoples in South America. And... Uh, it's it's used it's the West has really been impressed with its ability to help with 
uh, particularly psychological issues, uh, depression, anxiety, particularly with you know our Western disease, as I like to call it, because um, because we all have a certain level of stress and anxiety that uh, I don't think we've seen in society before, and ayahuasca is particularly helpful for that. Um, you know, there can be some healing vis-a-vis ayahuasca on a physical level, um, but I don't generally point to that because um, we don't have any consistency around that, that um, no studies and so forth. Um, so oftentimes it's used to help with psychological issues um, and then also was used as a diagnostic tool. So the uh, shaman would take uh, ayahuasca and look at the patient energetically and then gain information such that they could uh, prescribe other plants uh, for that patient uh, based on what they saw. And then at the end of that treatment, use it again to um, you know, see if the work was done or if they need to do more work uh, with other plants and so forth. In addition, it uh, more recently um, with the development of Santo Daime Church and the Unido de Vegetal, both out of Brazil, um, it's become a sacrament. And we can talk a little bit about, I think, uh, the way we, La Familia Ayahuasca, my, my retreat center operates, we look at it as going from a medicine to a sacrament. The medicine being um, ayahuasca is very good at cleaning out uh, um, energetic blockages um, and again addressing things like depression, anxiety, and so forth, which are often associated with energetic blockages. And we're getting a little esoteric, of course. But um, once that cleaning is 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 done or has reached a certain base level, then we can look at ayahuasca as more of a sacrament, a connection to the divine, and and um, using it as a way to learn more about ourselves, about our connections with other people, or about connections with the the world uh, from a large or universe from a larger standpoint. Um, it's it sounds very cut and dry medicine and sacrament, but it it, it weaves in and out of that um, because we as humans we say we do ayahuasca, do a series of ayahuasca ceremonies, and we're like, wow, I feel totally open and connected and and um, clean and all this sort of thing. Lighter uh, is, is the words that is often used. Then we go back into our Western world and we get bombarded with the same old stuff even you know we can we can mitigate this through practices like meditation qigong um, float tanks um, all these these wonderful wonderful practices that we encourage as part of integration post ayahuasca but we still oftentimes just get bombarded by um, stuff that clogs us up for lack of a better term and um, and so then ayahuasca is good to go back to and, and reclean and reconnect and you and, and get back into it as a sacrament just, just briefly, um, you just used the word uh, blockages. And I was listening to another podcast in which you used that word and talking about these energetic blockages. Um, you know, I'm familiar with people talking about chakras and you know, cleansing your chakras and stuff like that. I mean, what does that mean to you, an energetic blockage, just in your own terms, your own idea of it? Well, um, one way to look at it is as we go through life and experience uh, our daily traumas or our past traumas, particularly past traumas that we've been holding on to for a long time and haven't really, we might have worked through them from an intellectual standpoint. But what happens is we actually 
you know, if we can use the concept of a tube, like we, like with um, um, the concepts around the meridians in Chinese medicine or uh, nadis in the yogic systems or Ayurvedic systems, there are these tubes of energy. And when we go through some sort of trauma, they get kinked up. They, we actually tense up and they get smaller. And then uh, when there's a, when there's kind of a, uh, either a, the tube is too small or has been tensed up too tightly, sometimes completely closed. Um, then you got a bunch of energy trying to move through, gets stuck and starts to, for lack of a better term, putrefy. And that can often lead to uh, start with, uh, you know, usually starts with some sort of psychological um, dis-ease, not disease, and eventually lead to psychological disease, um, and then can possibly lead to physical disease as well, um, as we have all this tension throughout our energetic system. And that can, that can also translate into the physical, right? And so what ayahuasca is really good at is opening that up. And, and that's what it's much more somatic than say mushrooms or LSD as she's, she's really pounding or pushing through those energetic tubes to open them up. Um, and that's once they pop open, then things start to flow as they should and things balance out. And this is the same concept that we have in Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic medicine is we want to balance. We want to get the energetic system flowing and moving as it should. And, the same thing works if you want to look at the central channel and the chakra system. She's working on that as well. In fact, um, my wife uh, and to a certain extent myself believe that um, certain extent I do believe <laughs> that ayahuasca is is kundalini energy and is opening and popping up. In fact, um, the reason I brought up my wife is she oftentimes will like in ceremony she'll be you'll see her spine just do this, this shaking thing as the Kundalini energy is rising up. Um, in fact, she does that now um, outside of ceremony as the Kundalini continues to, to want to move upward. Just, just briefly, you're using the, the female pronoun she uh, when you describe uh, ayahuasca. Why? Well, th that's the, the way um, she, she shows up from an entity standpoint. She has a, um, we talk about her out, talk about her as a feminine entity, as a mother, as a grandmother. Um, and she, our interactions with her are very much like that and in unconditional love. However, the, the funny thing is we forget that a parent who has unconditional love for her children will be loving and at times when it's necessary for you to do your homework, you know, sit, sit the fuck down and do your homework. And that's, that's where the, you know, some of the challenging stuff happens with ayahuasca is ayahuasca is like, Hey, you got to look at this, this, this trauma that you went through this, this, uh, or this, uh, this thing that you did, or this, this habit that you have, we got to, we got to uh, address this. And it, and it can be addressed in a um, very linear logical message. Oh, ayahuasca told me to do X, Y, or Z, or it can be done in this subconscious, more so somatic message um, that it just doesn't make any sense. But later in life, we're out in the world and we interact with someone in a very different way um, and in a much more positive way. So when we say she, she or grandmother or mother ayahuasca, it's because of this, um, uh, this feminine aspect. And she, also, the experience itself is very feminine in the sense that it comes in waves, very wavy. 
like this, right? Um, you, you'd be like totally, well, what we say is in the medicine. Then suddenly it's like, oh, wait a second. I'm, I'm, I feel pretty so, oh shit, here it comes again. Um, right. And which is a, another feminine uh, aspect. Now there, there are some traditions that, for example, the Kofan in Colombia who approach ayahuasca as an, uh, a masculine uh, entity. And I don't, I haven't experienced that directly, um, but um, that's my understanding. And back to the masculine feminine, they're in this plant medicine world. If you say, talk to some native American church people about peyote, peyote is a grandfather, a male medicine. And it's interesting because the experience with, with peyote and wachuma, wachuma is the Peruvian version of, uh, it's also a mescaline cactus. And what happens is, is that you have a, a very steady entrance to the experience and then you hit a level and you are stable at that level for hours and hours and hours. And, and so it's very stable, not wavy. Um, and again, a more of a masculine uh, uh, experience, if you will, if you're and not, it's not male, female, but rather that masculine being firm, um, the, um, the Shiva Shakti kind of thing. Yeah. Shiva is the, the solid center and then Shakti is moving around. Right? Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. So just laying my cards on the table, I think the main, the main reason I wanted to talk to you today, and I definitely want to get more into ayahuasca itself and your work, your retreat center and all the rest but my interest was particularly piqued when I found out that you come from a background in finance. Oh, <laughs> and yeah. I think, and I think anyone who's got this far in the podcast already is probably saying, what, like he's talking about energy. And my ex-girlfriend uh, worked in finance, works in finance. And uh -huh. so I, I have, I'm definitely not a part of that world. I have a little bit of exposure to that world. Um, and uh, what exposure I do have, it was, you know, I, I can't imagine a lot of people in that world, making some of the decisions that you've made. So I'd like to talk a little bit about your story. And like, you know, as I talked to you today in the middle of, you know, a random place in Guatemala, um, yeah. I mean, how did you get there? I mean, and, and, you know, I'd like to know a little bit about your early life and your work in finance and what, what led you here? Yeah. Um, well, what, I, I worked in finance for about 10 years. I was an institutional stockbroker. So as a stockbroker who worked with hedge funds and mutual funds as my client, I wasn't working with individual wealthy individuals. I wasn't calling up grandma and saying, Hey, why don't you buy a mutual fund? I was working with the, the hedge funds. Um, and I, you know, it was great. It was um, very intellectually stimulating, worked with some really smart people. Um, I loved it for the first, I don't know, three years or something. And then um, as time went on, uh, found myself really, really dissatisfied. And um, I didn't realize it at the point, but um, I was most likely, not most likely, I was depressed and anxious. And I did not know why. I had everything, all the boxes were checked for happiness in America. You know, I traveled a lot. I um, uh, had a nice condo. I had a nice car. Um, all of these things and, and I wasn't happy. Um, and I was using a lot of, I would drink a lot and I would self-medicate with um, my drug of choice would be marijuana to kind of numb things out. Um, and I just hit a point where I was like, shit, I gotta, I gotta do something about this. I, and then I started kind of doing these work in, uh, weekend workshops, um, you know, things like, um, landmark forum and, um, uh, 
various NLP kind of workshops. And and where were you living a, at that time? I was in uh, Boston uh, when at the peak of my depression. And <laughs> in um, Boston itself was difficult for me because I'm not from Boston. And for those who don't know, Boston, Boston is very insular or was at the time and hard to break in socially, uh, particularly since I didn't like sports. <laughs> um, uh, and so I, I um, came across a uh, article in um, National Geographic that uh, where the author described her experience with ayahuasca and and she came from a background of uh, journalism and she was also working with depression and also PTSD because I think she had gone through some hot spots in her journalism career and needed to work through some stuff and you know it sounded like it was very challenging and at the same time rewarding and as soon as I re read that article I was like okay I gotta go I gotta go do that and it took some time to to um, to get down to Peru and, and attend a retreat. Uh, but I was able to, and, um, did a five ceremony retreat with, a what's called a shamanic dieta, uh, included in that. Um, and at the end of the, at the end of the retreat, I was like, wow, this is amazing. I've worked through a lot of relationship issues, a lot of issues around my uh, step parent, um, and just felt much more open, connected, cleaner, all, all these things that we hear uh, regarding ayahuasca experience. Could you just paint a little bit more fuller picture of that first retreat? I mean, what, what did it involve? What were you doing? Um, what was it like? Uh, it was, um, it's pretty straightforward. They, they, um, it was, I want to say eight days. It might've been yeah, eight days. And then, um, we had five ceremonies. Um, I don't remember the exact schedule um, in terms of which When you say nights. ceremonies, what do you mean? Oh, ayahuasca ceremonies. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, uh, five ayahuasca ceremonies. And um, those ceremonies tended to start at 730 or so, run until um, midnight, one o'clock. And then you're still feeling uh, the medicine after ceremonies over a little bit and, you know, hang out with people and talk and so forth. Um, there was not a huge amount of integration work done at this retreat in terms of, you know, it kind of differs from our retreat. Every time we have an ayahuasca ceremony, the next morning we get together and we talk about it. Um, it's really important. We think from an integration standpoint to kind of share the experience. And also there are always questions as to like, how particularly the first time uh, or even the first several times how is the the medicine working we that's one of the, the things when you choose an ayahuasca retreat center is someone needs to be there the facilitator or the the maestro or shaman uh, their experience is is, is invaluable because we as we as facilitators have seen so many ayahuasca ceremonies and i'm up 1200 or more um, in my career. Um, and so there are these patterns, these cycles that we see that are somewhat consistent such that when people say, Oh, I'm going through X, Y, or Z, we're like, Oh, yep. We've seen this before. And you know, this, this is fine. This is normal. Uh, help reassure people, if, particularly if they're having a tough time. Um, so there wasn't a lot of that going on at this particular retreat. Um, 
but you know, it, nonetheless, it was it was very productive for from my, my standpoint. Uh, it was also a retreat that had like 30 people on it, which is different from what we do. We do we max out at 15 so that we can provide a high level of personal attention um, and really take care of people. So after this retreat, what happens? Do you go back to Boston and change your life, or does it take time? It, it actually. Um, I'm trying to get my timeline. I actually ended up in Portland at a new job, a brand new job in 2009, which was right after the financial crisis in 2008. So it was the hardest time to find a new job in finance ever. And I just did it. And I was, I was like, wow, this is, and I attribute that largely to, to, uh, to ayahuasca. It sounds odd, but it's, I feel it's true. Um, and uh, um, yeah, things just, I suddenly started to enjoy my job more um, and just, I enjoyed people more and I uh, felt much more connected and um, you know, just, just everything was flowing much better. Um, I didn't think that I was going to go back to ayahuasca and um, uh, for, for time reasons and, and, Six months later, I was back down in in Peru, um, did another retreat. And it's at that point that I um, that I uh, decided to have ayahuasca in my life more. Um, and then three months after that, I quit my job, moved to Peru, and uh, uh, I, it's it, that going that the environment that I was in was so toxic for me that it wasn't last you know it was it it, it it wasn't a magical like fix for the rest of my life um it definitely made some very long-term shifts and part of that shift was realizing that working in finance was not for me um this is not going to happen to everyone who works you know in a professional job and drinks ayahuasca they're not going to quit their job but for me personally um I was just like, oh shit, this is not for me, and so uh, ended up moving back to Peru or moving down to Peru full time in 2010, and um, with the idea of doing personal work. I had no desire to become a shaman, uh, no de- desire to become a maestro or anything like that. Um, the idea was to do about six months of really heavy duty uh, shamanic dietas, which is another practice. Um, it's a foundational practice with ayahuasca, and then ayahuasca itself. And about a month in, I met my teacher and we just became really close. And um, about five months in, we decided to uh, build a camp uh, outside of the village, Henaro Herrera. And that's when we um, opened La Familia Medicina, uh, which is different than our current La Familia Ayahuasca. Going back to, I know I'm always saying going back, but I'm, I'm interested to know more. I mean, so when you made that decision to move to Peru, it's about 10 years ago. So you're what, around 40, pushing 40, something like that? Yeah, I was 39, 40, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. take take me through that decision. That must have been, you know, pretty pretty difficult because you've invested so much of your life and, you know, going down a certain path. I mean, was it something you really agonized over or were you pretty clear that this is what you really needed to do? Yeah, I totally agonized over it. I mean, I was, like I said, quote unquote, living the American dream. Um, and I, I was lucky I was single, so I didn't didn't um, have a family to worry about. And again, I was just like, I can't take this anymore. I, 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 I'm not happy. And so um, it, it just, 
it, you know, it's funny. I, I went through this, this, this lie to myself where I said, Oh, you know what? I, I enjoyed teaching English when I was younger. I taught English in Mexico for a period of time and that was a great job. So maybe what I'll do is I'll quit this and I'll go um, to Peru for a retreat and then I'll go to Asia and teach English and just see what happens kind of thing. And that was the story. And that was the story to, to kind of appease my professional friends and also my family. And then one morning I woke up, I was like, no, I'm just going to go to Peru and bang out a bunch of uh, shamanic dietas and do a bunch of ayahuasca, do a bunch of personal work and then see what happens. Um, of course, life had a different, um, different plan for me. So then following up from there, take me how you, you know, to how you become a shaman and doing the work you do now. I mean, what, how did you get there? Yeah, it's, it's tough and it takes a lot of time. And this is, this is something that is frustrating uh, to see particularly now in, uh, around the world as ayahuasca spreads around the world, we have a bunch of facilitators with very little training and very um, little understanding because um, understanding comes through experience, right? It's, um, uh, but that aside, um, yeah, I mean, in our lineage, uh, we, we focus very much on what's called the dieta or the shamanic dieta, wherein we're actually doing work with um, a tree or plant that is not ayahuasca, forming a strong energetic and spiritual relationship with that tree or plant that also has its own medicine, right? So every tree and plant has its own medicine. And we're, we're doing this thing called the dieta, which is a very strict um practice wherein you you don't go to deal with the outside world um you're eating very specific foods you're not engaging in any technology just essentially removing as many um distractions such as food entertainment entertainment from food or entertainment from chatting with someone else and really removing all those those distractions and focusing inward on oneself and uh, the connection with this tree or plant that you're, you're doing the shamanic dieta with. And what it is, is it's a purification process and it's a, a relationship forming with this, this other spirit, this plant spirit. Um, and it's also building up one's energetic protection or shield, if you will. And so the idea is you do a bunch of these dietas, dieta, dietas, and you go into an ayahuasca ceremony. Um, and then you have all these, spirit friends, these allies that you have formed, they're actually a part of you now. And that provides the facilitator with stability in the ceremony. So you're not like getting knocked around by ayahuasca like everyone else is. Um, and it's also allows us to call in that energy or that spirit of that tree or that plant to come, um, come in and help out. In fact, the ayahuasca will tell us in ayahuasca ceremony, say, hey, you need to sing redwood right now you need to sing the ikaro the song for the redwood tree or you need to sing the oak tree or you need to sing ayahuma tree right now and because that that medicine is carried through the song to the person and ayahuasca has opened up the energetic body such that that medicine can be delivered uh, the the songs are, are essentially an energetic um, medicine delivery system the dieta is a way for us to charge or put a pharmacy in our energetic body as a facilitator. And so in, in the jungle, when you ask to learn or study the medicine, they say, okay, it's dieta, dieta, dieta. They don't say ayahuasca, ayahuasca, ayahuasca. 
So it's a bunch of these dietas <laughs> um, and a bunch of ayahuasca ceremonies. Um, so before I could, uh, I was allowed to even do small ceremonies on my own. I had done uh, at least 24 dietas, which are at least a week long. And I was probably up around 400 ceremonies, I'm, I'm guesstimating at this point. I, this kind of work when I was training was very, very, very front-end loaded. I, I just would just do dieta after dieta after dieta, ceremony after ceremony after ceremony. And as time has gone on, it's become less and less and less. It's, you know, it's, it's just not sustainable to, to go at that rate that uh, that we do uh, in the beginning. And, and it's interesting, as an aside, gringos, we have um, a really distinct advantage over the Peruvians or the South Americans in terms of the study. Because we can go down, we have a you know, chunk of money, and we can go down and really just bang out all these dietas and all these ceremonies. Whereas a, a local Peruvian, it takes a lot long, uh, longer because they have a family. And you cannot work while you're doing a dieta. You can't be doing ceremony every single night when you got a family to go take care of. I mean, these people are living uh, subsistence life, and they're farmers, they're fishermen. They're um, you know they can't afford to take a week off, uh, let alone you know. For me, I didn't do anything else for four and a half years. That's all I did was just dieta, dieta, ayahuasca, ayahuasca, and uh, for myself, and also in in uh, with with bringing in people to work with myself and my teacher. So it's intense. It's hard. Um, uh, I, I don't recommend it for anyone. Uh, <laughs> there, but there are you know, plenty of people who are you know, going down doing a couple months um, in, in Peru and then you know, returning home and, and putting on ceremonies, which is unfortunate. Those, those early years in Peru, I mean, did you ever have moments where you thought, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> like, I just want to go home. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, w I wanted to quit many, many times. I mean, it's, it's just, the, you know, there, it is physically, emotionally, and, and spiritually unlike anything else I've, I've ever tried. Um, I mean, I, and I've done things like Vipassana, 10 day Vipassana retreats, which are, I've done two of those and they're really, really hard. So imagine doing, I guess it's, it's like being a monk. Imagine doing that all the time, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, so it's it's just really challenging. Uh, what kept you going? I don't, you know, it, it, every time I've tried to quit, things have lined up such that the medicine's like, no, you're you're still going, you're still going. I, there's as one works with ayahuasca and does these dietas, there's a communication that happens directly between oneself and ayahuasca. Um, and oneself in the plants and, and trees and um, it, the channels are open to, to have a, a dialogue, if you will. And, um, you know, been like situations where um, I, I decided to, to leave my camp in 2000, mid 2014 um, and go off on my own. And I was like, go solo, right? This is time to time to do my own thing. And I was like, well, I don't know if I'm going to, continue doing ayahuasca. Um, I don't have my, my camp and so forth. And then suddenly, bam, medicine lands in my lap. People were like, okay, let's, let's do ceremony. And, um, I was like, okay, <laughs> here we go. And 
it's it's just time and time again whenever i've wanted to quit it's like nope you're 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 going to continue going and what about so, the um I don't know if you called it low level or not, but it sounded like you were describing something like low level depression that you've been experiencing in the United States for years. I mean, what, what happened to that? Are you still struggling with that on a daily basis or over the years, has that kind of dissipated or, or what? Yeah, it's still, you know, so I, I, one of the things I realized is the, through my, particularly through my practice, my Buddhist practice is that, we're going to have ups and we're going to have downs and on those, those, in those challenging times, it's the whole idea of getting rid of that is, is actually suffering in itself, but rather how do you deal with it? How do you accept, how do you flow and um, accept the, the wisdom that can come from feeling low? And so um, I would say that those still have my down moments, but I recognize them. I'm aware of them. Um, and it's, it's, uh, just much easier to deal with and I know they're going to pass. So I would point to, and this is something that we at La Familia Ayahuasca, I think bring to the table and we're not the only ones, but the, the melding or the merging of Eastern philosophies such as Buddhism with the medicine, because they really complement each other in a wonderful way. Um, and and so I would say through both ayahuasca and through a regular meditation practice, um, yes, I still have my tough days. Yes, I still get pissed off. Yes, <laughs> I still have my challenges um, in in life in general. However, dealing with them, the the triggers are shorter in in expression, uh, and then and then the the low points are are short also shorter in duration, uh, but they're still there. I mean, it's the idea that this and this is something people really need to, to be aware of when they look at ayahuasca. It's not a magic bullet. There still needs to be work done. I, you know, I still, I have a therapist for God's sake, you know, and my, my wife and I go to therapy and, and bringing that in with ayahuasca is fucking amazing. Mm. Fucking amazing. So this, this West East South American bringing together of all these modalities is um, absolutely, it's like a rocket ship in terms of personal development, I think. Yeah. Just, uh, I was, I was also curious about this. I mean, just ballpark figure. How many times do you think you've ingested ayahuasca in your life? Ballpark somewhere between 1200 and 1500. Again, most of that, most of that in the early days. I mean, when we first opened our retreat center in Peru, we would have people show up on Monday have them stay for a till Sunday and every morning we'd wake up and say, Hey, do you want to drink ayahuasca? And then invariably it'd be like, we'd be drinking ayahuasca every night, drop them off for sort of six nights, drop them off at the boat on Sunday, have a night off then have another group, small group. And this was a great way to learn because it, it was a lot of ayahuasca in a very short period of time uh, and working, just building and building the number of people we were, uh, were working with. And so did that for like four, four to six months. And then, then we were like, Oh, wait a second. Let's stop just letting people come whenever they want. Let's set a, a schedule. And then it was like every two weeks we'd have a five ceremony retreat and then we'd still be drinking in between. <laughs> Cause it, I think on average I was drinking um, like while I was particularly while I was in the jungle, like three or four times a week wow. just because it was, it was just, 
I had a lot of energy. It was there. Everybody in the family that I was working with, my teachers were like, yeah, let's do it. They had a lot of energy and they, they loved ayahuasca too. And, and it was just, you know, really for lack of a better term, balls to the wall. So for a long time. I realize this is really, really tough to put into words. Uh, I was listening to another interview you gave and you used the word ineffable. Um, and I, I totally get that. But if, if you yeah. could try to sort of explain what ayahuasca, even just speaking personally, like what it's given to you, um, what are those experiences like? I realize they're often very different. Um, but what, I mean, why keep going back to that substance? Oh, yeah. Okay. So for me personally, it has definitely opened my heart, opened my connections to other people, to um, the divine. Um, it's, it's, it's really inspired me on the, the broader spiritual path beyond ayahuasca. Um, I'm not one of the people who believe that every, it's all about ayahuasca. I think that um, bringing ayahuasca together with other, other practices is absolutely key. And so, you know, relationships are, I actually have good friends now. I didn't have good friends. I realized looking back, I didn't have good friends. Um, I'm actually happy in, in the world in general. Um, I'm less, uh, I, I still can be a bit bitchy at times, no question, but I'm less so. And so it, these are the big shifts. Um, and also in terms of the Again, practices outside of ayahuasca meditation practices and other practices, like a, like a two turbo booster. Um, I now can have not the you know, we want to avoid like in Buddhism we want to avoid being attached to the experience, but at the same time I go into meditation and there are these amazing experiences um, uh, that I didn't have before. They're enjoyable and I understand I need to drop that <laughs> uh, from a Buddhist standpoint. Um, but yeah, so those are the things that have helped me. And, and it's really, really important for people to understand that ayahuasca, as a, as a facilitator of ayahuasca, I want you to, if you come work with us, at some point, I want you to fire us and fire us for the best reasons possible. That is, you've, you've done enough, worked through enough stuff to kind of stop relying on ayahuasca and start relying on your practices that you have developed with the help of ayahuasca or just if you happen to be lucky enough not to need those, not everyone needs practices. That's a tiny minority, but um, awesome. Now I get, a, I get calls from people that I've been working with for years and they're like, you know, I don't they're kind of embarrassed. And they're like, I don't think I want to do ayahuasca anymore. Like awesome. Mm. Don't stop. There's no reason to use ayahuasca as a crutch. It is a tool to help you increase your consciousness and drop and work with work through trauma and all of these things, but it's not an end all be all. And it, uh, you know, for some people it can be uh, not, not an end all be all, but it can be a sacrament that they choose. All right, I'm going to take this ayahuasca path. I'm going to use ayahuasca as a sacrament and uh, the sacrament is this connection to the divine. And that's a different path, right? Um, and that's, that's along the lines with the Santo Daime Church and the Unido de Vegetal, uh, which are two Brazilian churches um, that are Catholic, and they drink ayahuasca as their sacrament, as part of their mass, so to speak. Mm. Um, so there can be that in, in this, uh, this shamanic path as well. Um, for me personally, there was a point where it was like, okay, I kind of hit – uh, a, a spiritual plateau from an ayahuasca standpoint. And I don't mean to sound 
can sound a little bit arrogant and, I, and I'm still learning things from ayahuasca. Don't get me wrong, but it, you know, the, the, the progression is really steep in the beginning and then it starts to level out in terms of your, your progression with ayahuasca um, in terms of learning and, and consciousness expansion. Right. Um, and a good friend of mine down in Peru pointed another gringo friend um, who's also studying to be a shaman. He's like, look, there's at some point where you're like, okay, the plant medicine incrementally is not that the, the utility curve has started to flatten out um, is not. So it's, it's a point at which you decide, am I going to just stop maybe go back every once in a while or do I, am I going to serve this for the rest of my life? And so I, I, that's, that's, that's a point where, um, that has come forth for me and, and, and until further notice, uh, I'm going to continue this work for, yeah, I can't say forever because, or for the rest of my life, cause I don't know, but that's, that's a sense I have. Did that answer your question? It does. Yeah. But a follow up question. So, you know, that one of my big interests is uh, love and relationships. You were talking mm-hmm. about how you're, you, you have better friends now. And mm-hmm. you're describing some of the personal changes you've had. You've also mentioned that you're married now. Uh, congratulations. Um, how, how do you think ayahuasca or has ayahuasca changed your sort of um, romantic you know, relationships or your relationship? How do you think that it's impacted that? Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's something through ayahuasca. It, it, everyone comes out the other side feeling much more connected and much more compassionate and loving towards others. So when we have that openness, vulnerability and uh, feeling of connection uh, and trust to a certain extent, it makes relationships a lot easier to deal with or to work with or to enjoy (laughs) all of the above. Um, However, you know, it's interesting uh, when I was doing my training, part of, part of the training through the shamanic dieta is no sex like for 20, 30 days at a time, every time we do a dieta. So there, when I was doing my training, I really didn't have any relationships and um, I had some, but, but nothing uh, long lasting or significant because I was so focused on the training. And it was interesting as I, when I met my wife having to, after being essentially alone for five and a half, six years through my training, four and a half years in Peru, and then um, continue on my, on my own um, outside of Peru. And I met my wife. And so the, it was a, a, still a challenge to, to kind of figure out that relationship being with somebody after being single for so long. Um, you know, it, in terms of relationships, I think that, like, say, a couple who wants to go to an ayahuasca retreat together, it's great. It, 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 ayahuasca is an amplifier such that we can see our own stuff in an amplified way. So that's the blessing and a curse, right? It can amplify ego. It can amplify, if we're not careful, um, it can amplify narcissism if we're not careful. Um, it can amplify um love for each other and that's the ideal (laughs) so if we have a couple uh, who go to a retreat together who have a healthy relationship of course everyone has their their arguments and problems but have a general healthy relationship it can really 
bring forth appreciation for the other person and amplify that love and so forth. Conversely, it's not, I don't think it's a great tool to have two people who are in conflict uh, go to an ayahuasca retreat because it'll, it may, amp, may amplify in that retreat context those problems and just you know, really just create some big conflict in that, that uh, environment. So in, in that kind of situation, it might be useful for them to go separately so that it can amplify the issues at hand and then they can work with it. That's the, the amplification is such that we can work with it. Now, whether we do or not, that's therein lies the pitfall of ayahuasca, right? I see. Um, yeah. There are pitfalls in ayahuasca, you know, without question. Yeah, well, I think, you know, and again, I've, I have no direct experience with it, but I know some people who, who have, and it's certainly becoming more and more um, popular, you might say trendy yeah. in certain circles. And it Absolutely. seems to me like, I mean, your whole energy and the way I've heard you speak about it, it seems to me you have a, a deep respect for um, the plant. And I think a lot of people in this space don't. Um, so I think, yeah, I, see, I think that's an important point to make. And, and the fact that you're right, it's, it's probably not for everyone, right? Like serious, you know, needless to say, if you have some serious mental issues you're going through or mental illness, it's probably not a good idea, right? No, yeah, yeah. And it, like I said, it, in, that's why when we um, have people who want to come work with us, we have a vetting process mm-hmm. where we um, you know, have an application. And then most importantly is we have a, a zoom call like we're having right now so that we can look each other in the eye. Um, is this person stable? Are they you know, sincere? Are they, do we like each other? Mm-hmm. This is such, do we, can we form some trust? Because the, working with ayahuasca, if you're going to drink with somebody, you better have a, a pretty decent level of a trust in them. And the only way I know how to do that is relating to each other, um, starting face to face and through that, then, you know, there's a relaxation opening and then we can get some serious work done. Right. Um, if we don't like each other, if we don't trust each other, it's not going to work or it's not going to work very well (laughs) at best. So I just want to make sure I'm understanding this correctly. So you're the facilitator of the experience and, and you ingest ayahuasca along with the people who are customers for lack of a better term. Yeah, we, we, we call them guests, but in Peru, they call them pasajeros, which is passenger. Um, oh, I like that better. That's very good. Yeah. Um, so yes, uh, it's really important for the facilitator to, uh, and, and the facilitators are my wife and myself. Uh, we sometimes have students with us as well. Um, yeah, it's important for us to do so, uh, to ingest because like if you remember I was explaining how ayahuasca was uh, and is used as a diagnostic tool so we're looking around and we're we're seeing what needs to happen we're also ayahuasca opens the doors of perception or connection with those plants that we were dieting remember the shamanic dieta and we're ayahuasca is telling us what to sing and when and then through that song the Icaro, uh, the medicine song, we are delivering that specific medicine from that other tree or plant, not just ayahuasca. And so it's important for us to have those doors uh, of perception and communication open with ayahuasca in the experience. Now, people constantly tell us, how do you do that? I mean, they're, they're plastered to the floor. They can barely move. And they're like, how are you standing up or sitting up there and singing for five hours at a time? And, you know, if someone needs help, you're able to get up and help them. And, and it's, it's, it's again, it's, it's ayahuasca as an entity. When you change roles, 
she changes how she she uses you. You know, when you're when you're a pasajero or you're a guest, she's working on you to heal you. When you become a facilitator, um, she changes that, such as she's using us as a delivery mechanism. So she she will use us like an instrument, telling us what to sing and when. And she'll also, it's amazing. I'll, I'll be sitting in ceremony completely like, oh, my God, I'll be singing an Icaro. Oh, my God, I hope no one needs any help because I can't move. There's no fucking way. Then I hear help, and then ayahuasca lifts everything, and I go help. Wow! And it's just like what? Okay, yeah. And this is this is a very consistent uh, experience for, for very myself. interesting. Yeah, that's yeah. that's really interesting. Well, I'm definitely intrigued to uh, to learn more after this discussion. I'm sure I'm not the only one. Um, what's the best place people can find you on the web? Yeah. So we uh, our website simple is ayahuascafamily.com. Um, and, um, we also have our own podcast. Um, we really, there seems to be a dearth of really deep conversation about ayahuasca. There's a lot of talk about experiences and so forth. So, uh, we're on iTunes and Stitcher at, uh, just search ayahuasca family uh, and we'll come up. Uh, but yeah, the main way is ayahuascafamily.com and our email, if you want to just email us, it's info at ayahuascafamily.com. And you're offering retreats about once a month. Is that right? About uh, once a month, eight times a year. We, we work around uh, Lake Atitlan has a rainy season. Um, and so we uh, you know, like our next retreat here is in October. We took September, uh, most of October off for the rainy season. And then May, June is also rainy. So we about eight times a year, we offer for once a month retreats here on Lake Atitlan, Guatemala. Lake Atitlan is amazing. I mean, it's, it's like San Diego weather, not too hot, not too cold, sunny. It's this lake that's surrounded by volcanoes, uh, really amazing energy for lack of a better term, and starting to get some serious attention on the, particularly on the backpacker circuit. Great. Well, Zach, this was a real pleasure and I, I want to thank you for your time and thank you for the work that you're doing. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, likewise. It was, it was a lot of fun. hope you enjoyed today's episode of Humans in Love. If you'd like to learn more about my guests, my work, or you'd like to listen to back episodes of the podcast, please visit humansinlove.com. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to Humans in Love using your podcast app of choice. If you're a fan of Humans in Love and you'd like to help keep the show going and help me spread the word, please take 30 seconds out of your day to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast app of choice. Before I let you go, remember that life is short, so let's make it count. And thank you, as always, for your listenership and support. I'll talk to you again very soon.